We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And on Saturday, the Lakers lost another heartbreaker. The basketball gods find new and creative ways to torment us this year. And it was in a game where the Lakers... Played pretty well for the most part. I actually think there's a lot of building blocks and it can be somewhat of a template going forward. But Clay catches fire. It was great to see a classic Clay Thompson performance. I just wish it wasn't against my team. And then LeBron and AD go shoot 35% for the game. LeBron goes one for 10 in the fourth quarter and misses one of the three free throws he had to, to tie the game. Again, it was something where overall they played pretty well, but it was a, a bit of a heartbreaker. And I wanted that win for myself, but but even more for you guys, because both of you guys were together there in the building. D, you were credentialed for that game. Y'all went to lunch earlier in the day, and I thought you brought some good uh, LFR pod mojo to that game, but alas, it didn't end up working out. Tell me about your experience at the game. The game was great. It was great to see Mike in person. We had gotten lunch actually the day before. Mm-hmm. Big soup energy from from Mike over the couple of days that I saw him, but we'll keep that between us. That has to be the first time that phrase has been used. (laughs) B-S-E. Big soup energy. What does that even mean? I mean, I did order – it was like 65 out, and for Darius, this seemed like he was – you know, it was like 85 in Hawaii or something. Yeah, summer day. so excited. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you're you're from San Francisco. You're not from Minnesota, you know? Like, I know it's it's not that – this warm at this time of year that often, but he was, he was glowing, man. He was feeling himself outside. And I got matzo ball soup at, it was about, like I said, about 65 out because I knew he was going to get the pastrami and I knew he'd, he'd just for, he'd, he'd tossed me a little assist. Guys want a little taste of it, but I had my heart set on matzo ball soup. So there you go. There's the, that's what happened. BSE. Yeah. So Mike got soup and it's like 70 degrees outside. Even the guy who took our order, Mike was just like, hey, so how good's the soup? And the guy's like, the soup's good. And he's like, how good is the sandwich? And he's just like, you know, the guy who was taking our order, he was just like, get the sandwich. But his like undertone remark was, you know, it's like 70 degrees outside. Why are you asking me about the soup, basically? But Mike was like, you know, I wanted soup. And so 
So yeah. he got the soup. But the reason why he had big soup energy, sorry, this is taking a long time. Like, who cares about a basketball <laughs> game, right? Was because when I saw Mike at the game, we ate dinner like, oh, at the right. game. And then he had soup again. And so on the second day, so like back to back days, he had soup. So that's why it was big soup energy. It wasn't just the single. And the first soup was questionable in the first place, yes. right? Relative yes. to the weather. I right? see. So it's 70 it degrees and he's getting soup. And then it's the next night. Right, he said, right. ooh, I wonder where that soup is. It, it was actually like, okay. So that's why Mike Trudell, soup guy. So, you, you know, just something for the future. Fair. In any event, I thought we did bring good LFR energy to to the game, just not enough. And Mike could speak speak to this too. Like being at the game was was great, but the whole in the aftermath, the thing that I'm going to is we were post game sitting there listening to Frank Vogel talk, and I just felt for Frank honestly in this game because. The Lakers did play well enough to win. I thought they played, the word I was using the entire night was spirit. They played with real Mm -hmm. spirit in that game. And it wasn't energy. It was spirit. It was this sense of like, we're going to go get it. And Mike LeBron spoke to that sort of connectivity, which I think is an offset of of spirit right like it's it's hard to play with spirit if you're not connected as as a group because you don't have that flow together and that we had talked about rowing in the same direction a couple of pods ago and i thought all of that was on display against the warriors and i so i sort of felt for frank because post game he's sitting there talking about um just the things that went wrong and like the Avery's deflected pass and all of those shots that led to clay clay jumpers almost all of those jumpers were contested the ones that weren't contested were on like fluke deflections or a ricochet off of the backboard so hard that it just bounced right to clay's hands it was almost like when you talked about the basketball gods being against the Mm -hmm. lakers like it was that sort sort of stuff. Like mm-hmm. like oh look, the ball just happens to find the only guy on the Warriors who can hit a shot right now, and is Clay Thompson. So he's on fire on top of it too. So just a a rough outing from that perspective. And so I hate to jump to the end because there was so much good there in the beginning and and in the middle. But when you're asking about like what it was like at the game, like that's sort of my lasting memory is that idea. Like oh man, like. I really wanted that. And you could tell Frank really wanted it as well. But here's the thing. This was the kind of loss that in the in the context of a normal season where the Lakers had been either relatively healthy or, or even if just the roster was more fine tuned and you would have been totally acceptable kind of loss like like a, the basketball gods. If you play like that, if you play like the Lakers did in that game will shine upon you as the season goes on. If, mm-hmm. if you bring that level of energy and intensity and frankly, they lost the game, you know, as LeBron mentioned, because their stars didn't come through down the stretch, which, again, is totally acceptable. Sometimes that happens that mm-hmm. like the But what I was encouraged by was and we've been you know, we've talked a lot about Westbrook this year, but he played that game like a role player uh, in a lot of ways. And and that's what they need in a sense, and not to say that he shouldn't be aggressive, but that's part of his role. Like part of his role is to be aggressive, to attack the rim, which he did, and to not turn the ball over a ton, like which he did, and to focus on on defense, 
which, you know, barring a couple times, especially in the first half, which he did. And then they they lost the game because of all of those circumstances that Darius mentioned and the just not being able to finish a layup. But like we're going to focus on the Lakers seven for 22 in the fourth quarter. Well, they also held Golden State to eight for 23. It just happened to be that Clay hit three threes and six of his 10 shots. But Steph didn't do a damn thing in the fourth quarter. Steph was one for four. He was over two from three. The only other player to hit a single field goal for them in the fourth was Wiggins. And it was that contested step back three over oh. LeBron, which was a huge shot. That'll mm-hmm. get lost sort of in the, the mix of everything. So all of, all of that stuff conspired where, you know, the, the Austin, it was almost an Austin Reeves game. Like he was amazing. So there was a lot of stuff out of that, Pete, and I wondered what stood out to you. The play like that phrase that you used is what stood out to me in that that the spirit that Darius is talking about. I love that distinction between spirit and energy. There was a, a want to. I, we really want to. And uh, I was talking to our wonderful producer, Jeannie. I thought she had a great observation that the Lakers need to get used to playing that way, like used to playing hard like that. And then, as you said, Mike, the basketball gods will bestow blessings. But there were there was some degree of like, yeah, the, they're knocking it away. Like, no, you haven't paid your toll yet. You have to do this on a regular basis because like if we play that like that against Portland, how much do we win by 30? You know, and, and so there's a certain amount. I, I really thought this regular season was especially important in that. We had so many new things to figure out of which Russ's fit is the biggest and most like, huh, how does that ingredient fit into the overall mix? But uh, even before like getting into the specifics of how Russ played and all of all of that, the last couple pods of last week, I was concerned that we were at this fracturing point. And so even though we lost the game, seeing them come out post trade deadline. Uh, Vogel had been talking about even in the media availability the day before and then in pregame availability that there was like kind of this refreshed energy about the Lakers D that I was like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Like, I don't trust these guys and I don't trust them to come out the next game and play as hard as they did the last game. That's why it's kind of like a play like that type of thing. But I do. I was encouraged by the rather than continuing to pull apart. For one night only, at least, I thought we played hard, played together, played for each other, and we were as cohesive as we've been. Frank was on that big soup energy too, Darius. Was he? <laughs> Good. Good. No, that's still look, bothering Mike. <laughs> look, all row in the same direction, Mike. That's all I'm after here. I'll believe when I see it over a two-week period. And since we're coming up on the all-star break, like they're not going to get that chance. Let's kick the break here because I've got a thought on this coming out of the other side. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you guys about was play like this. Yeah, sure. What I was thinking about, though, was like, how many more times? It's how many more times can you sort of give what you have to give only for you to not come through? Yeah, we need to win in one of these. We've had a couple games like this this season. Me and Mike were talking about this. Yeah. Me and Mike were talking about this while we were waiting for um, the guys to come out to talk. So Frank came out and then it was a little bit of a break before we saw the players. This was post game. So me and Mike were chatting a little bit and we were just cycling off the games. Right. And it was like, oh, like how many of these have they won this year? Right. And they've won way fewer of these than they've lost. Right. Like we were pointing back like, oh, well, remember they came back and they had that good win against Detroit. Right. Where A.D. got the blocks against Cade, Cade Cunningham. But then this is like, OK, well, what other one was there? They beat the Knicks when they were on the road. Right. And that was one one of those. But they lost that Knicks game just last week. Right. Where it was. the Or no, I'm sorry. They lost the one in New York and then they won the one here at state or at crypto. Sorry. Well, even then, like those are below average to bad yes. teams. And so against a good team you, like I. Memphis and Cleveland before we knew that they were really good. We yeah. beat them early in the year when we had but, but all I'm our talking guys. About but like down the stretch where the plays needed to be made and mm-hmm. you've done everything you need to do in order to win. And for some reason you lose. Like yeah, those are the only two I can think of against a like a decent team is are, are those games. Yeah. yeah. Like even the game against Charlotte, Mike, where it was like, OK, like Russ is really he turned it on in the second half and they didn't have LeBron or or AD. But it was just like, OK, well, winning those sorts of games gives you it gives you life at the like like at the end. That is the light at the end of the tunnel. That is the reward. And it's yeah. and so one of the things I <clears> wanted to put back to both of you guys is like, yeah, like I'm I was so happy to see how how they played and I was so disappointed for them. Yeah. Right? So there's disappointment in them. I've I've had plenty of those. I'm disappointed in you games, but I was disappointed for them this game because i know it's it's got to be hard to continue to muster that same spirit when your spirit gets tamped down in that same way by losing games and so i'm not saying that they won't have it in them i'm just wondering how many more times right because it's it, and it's something that was on my mind a lot over the last couple of days in the aftermath of that specific game i think this is where the schedule helps them though in that they have 4 days which I literally can't remember ever happening before they play the Utah game. So the energy that they can, they can watch the film from that. Like they'll have, they'll actually have two practices where they can practice and go through stuff. And then they'll have that game where, where they know that they have the break coming after as well. So that can be the kind of the all out energy effort game. And if, if there's not, there is absolutely no excuse for it. Right. So I I think they will have that. And then they have the actual all-star break and they come back. So it's this is that part of it is good, I think, for them in order to find that. And if they can, that could catapult 
and this is again the op this is their internal thinking right that's the optimistic view i think we could all throw some stones at it but that's their i think mindset where okay this is the kind of effort we can have we can sustain it russ can play like this lebron maybe will be better you know oh look emergence of tht has actually been significantly better these last yeah. couple of games oh wait austin reeves you know so there's the the rotation making some sense in that se- in in that context right malik monk Five for nine off the bench in 20 minutes, which is, you know, you don't need him necessarily to be scoring 27 uh, right in this in this context and starting and then therefore out there to be able to make some more defensive mistakes. So there are there are things I think you can hold on to, but the immediate schedule and the uniqueness of it to me is is important. And in this new format where we've got the playing game now, the I think the bigger picture, which which you always like you always like to refer back to because it's important, like where are we going with this? I I think the Lakers have some athletic and strength advantages over Golden State to where like getting that would be a very interesting series. I don't Kuminga really hurt us. I thought and illustrated our lack of forward uh, not having Melo hurt. Although Melo's not the guy that's going to do much about Kuminga in the first place. Uh, in the buyout market, if we can get another forward that can just help us deal with those athletic type forwards, I thought it illustrated some of our actual weaknesses too. But like you said, Mike, the more of the pieces are kind of locked in place into what we'll be able to do going forward. And that seventh spot is still attainable. That means you have to get to one either the seventh seed or the eighth seed. I believe we're a game and a half back of the Clippers for the eighth seed, and they have the tiebreaker at, at this moment. And so that we have some work to do to get there, but it's still attainable. And if we can win that play-in game, a first-round series against the Warriors is probably the best that we can do right now. Now, they didn't have Draymond, and you can't possibly undersell that and you know skip over that as though that's that's nothing. But there's also going to be some games, D, where LeBron and AD actually do make their shots. And I'm curious about, as we get this kind of clearer picture about your view on the matchup with the Warriors in the first place. Yeah, so I thought the matchup was super interesting. Um, Mike called the Kaminga game, by the, by the way, when we were talking beforehand. Like, um, Nice. Kaminga just sort of has that energy and motor and athleticism yeah. that has given the Lakers problems. Um, I had... when. I had sort of compared him to like a little bit of like what Jared Vanderbilt has done to the Lakers a fair amount, like mm-hmm. in the matchup with with Minnesota. Now, Kaminga is a higher pedigree guy than than Vanderbilt, but it's sort of that same idea of like, yeah, he gets to operate weak side and not be on the ball a lot. And that just happens to be an area where the Lakers are weak defensively particularly in their forward spots because neither LeBron nor if Melo was there nor Melo are very keen on engaging with non-shooter types on the weak side and so when you're not a shooter then it was like circle cut after circle cut by Kamingo where it's just like oh yeah look you're helping you're more concerned about Stephen Clay or strong side side actions, even Wiggins. And it's just like, yep, I'm just going to loop in behind and I'm going to loop in behind. And he did that all game and he did it in, in transition. And so in a weird way, he was the matchup that was the most difficult thing for mm-hmm. the Lakers to maintain, right? Because they, they've had so much experience defending Steph and clay and clay is just like a different version of that that i thought it was like okay we know what we're doing there 
Well, and Frank's system is so geared toward taking away the three-point line. That's the purpose of fighting over the top of screens. And so those guys with those lineups that have those shooters, that's right in our defensive wheelhouse. Yeah, and so I thought some of the stuff that Clay got, it's just like his points seemed quiet until the fourth quarter because those threes were huge. But it was just like, oh man, like one, two pull dribble, like one or two dribble pull-ups into a 16 footer, like on the baseline or right. It was all, it was all off the dribble stuff. Even Steph, it was like, okay, well he got floater after floater after floater, but he wasn't, he wasn't getting clean looks at three, all of those shots Mm -hmm. at three, they were like in the arena. It was crazy because it was a lot of like, ooh. And then because he's shaking Avery Bradley or Austin Reeves to get to a step back, but he had to do a lot of work to get into the step back in general. And he's more than capable of hitting those shots. But those are the threes that if you're the Lakers, like those are the threes we're going to give up. The ones we're not going to give up are, oh, you walked into a pick and roll and we're playing four feet below the level of the ball. Like he didn't get any of those, right? And, and neither did did Clay. It was all off of the dribble work until, until the ball really started to move around or crazy deflections and stuff. And so where I thought the matchup favored the Lakers but they did not take advantage enough was on the interior, right? And LeBron, whether it was the lack of a whistle or just him not having his normal lift, he wasn't finishing inside. And honestly, like, I thought I was disappointed in AD's want to get into the paint off offensively. Now, on the other side of the floor, I thought AD was doing a tremendous job defensively. But offensively, he wasn't there in the way that you needed him to be there. And 13 shots is not enough. But 5 for 13 was indicative of the types of shots that he was taking. So I thought the Lakers had advantages to milk more that they didn't or when they did they just weren't successful on a really sort of off night from LeBron and so I was encouraged in a lot of ways by what they were getting offensively let's take another break and when we come back I want to talk about that battle for the interior versus the Warriors because I think that's that's crucial in any matchups we have with them going forward So, Mike, so much of the conversation on this pod this year uh, when we've really gotten into the weeds has been the whole drop scheme or fighting over screens versus switching for the Lakers. And the Golden State Warriors are the first team to really make switching everything the central part of the defense that they play. And that idea of the Lakers have some interior advantages between LeBron, AD, and even Russell Westbrook uh, in a- around the rim. And so Golden State's task is to keep us out of there in the first place. And in some respects, I thought they did well. In others, they, they didn't. I thought LeBron got a bit of a b- rough whistle on his drives. I rarely talk about the, the refs in that respect, but they – the Warriors, I thought, did well to protect their paint as well as they could considering the size and strength discrepancies. What did you see in terms of that battle? Because I'm with Dion, with with Anthony Davis in particular, 13 shots isn't enough, especially when not enough of them are coming around the paint. The immediate hindsight, and even during the game, was that you that Anthony Davis has these, these advantages. And Darius was talking before the game about the key. And you know that Looney is a good defender. But he's not good enough to really handle AD if AD wants to be at his peak aggressive uh, mode. Because what Looney is smart, and he's gonna he's gonna play AD really physical, and AD is gonna be able to just kind of easily rise up and take that jump shot on Looney, and Looney's gonna be like, "Great, go ahead and take it." And right now, that jump shot for AD is not there to the point of it being a a knockdown. Like 
if it's I don't like the whole bubble AD thing because I think that's just a unreasonable expectation for anybody, let alone him. And he's not the only one that was going to shoot much better there. But that was going to be the place that, you know, that he could he could kill you there if he's in that kind of rhythm. But he's just not right now. And the free throw line is one of the places where you can see that right? you can see that he's just not super comfortable. So, OK, well, then drive. Right. Then go get to the rim. And he did get to the foul line 10 times, which is a great number. But he could have gotten there more and he could have gotten into the paint further. And if you're wanting to forecast this type of a matchup, I look at it the same way that I looked at once Brooklyn got when they made the trade for Harden. And I think people shifted their title favorite from the Lakers to the Nets. And I said, well, hold on, because with with Kyrie and Durant and Harden and then whoever else they're putting in there. What's the advantage that the Lakers are going to have in a matchup like that? And it's a, well, none of those guys can do much about LeBron or AD at the rim. Even for as much of a shot blocker that Kevin Durant can be in those contexts, he can get bodied off by LeBron and by uh, KD. And the Warriors are similar in a sense that even so Draymond Green, who is great at protecting the rim, but if you have two guys with the athleticism and the power that the LeBron and AD have, and same thing with Looney, they, they just don't have that in, and very few teams do. So I do like that element of that specific matchup, but it requires the uber aggressive Anthony Davis that hasn't been there the last couple of games and and certainly wasn't there in this game. That's certainly the case. And that's something that, you know, no plan or scheme can can overcome. And like you said, D, I thought he was wonderful on the defensive end. But I think getting AD into the interior will be, will be a topic that I think we can explore and get into the weeds uh, on as the as the season progresses. But I thought this game illustrated a bit of the collective strength problem that the LeBron, AD, and Russ matchup poses. I I really liked Russ out of the post in this game, in part because at some point Golden State ran out of bodies when he got to deal with LeBron and NAD. You got to put your best athletes on those two guys. And so there were possessions where it's Russ in the post against Jordan Poole. And he got to the line or he'd create something. And and so I thought that the collective, right, whereas if Russ is the second most problematic athlete on the floor, he doesn't have quite that same degree of advantage. So I thought part of why Russ had a good game was because he got the lesser of of the athletes and, and of the size and strength. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, kind of like the collective size and strength of that trio and how the Lakers can leverage that in a matchup against a smaller team. Well, I think one of the things, too, that Golden State did is they switched a lot. The Lakers weren't targeting switches in the way that they typically would, where it's just like, okay, who's Jordan Poole guarding while LeBron is in the game, right? Oh, Jordan Poole, you're guarding Avery Bradley. Avery Bradley, you're going to go set a ball screen for LeBron. There wasn't a lot of that. But over the course of a possession, if they're switching weak side actions, suddenly Jordan Poole's on Russell Westbrook or Damian Lee is on Russell Westbrook or Damian Lee is on LeBron James. And this was one of the reasons why before the game, when I was talking to Mike about Anthony Davis and like this could be an AD game, it was because of the fact that after Looney, who were the bigs? Who were the forwards, basically? It's just like, okay, there's no Draymond and there's no Iguodala. And -hmm. I thought to myself, okay, well, at some point, once Wiggins is out of the game, And now it's like, okay, and Looney is out of the game. It's sort of just like, okay, well, you've got Kaminga and Porter and who else? They're small. And they're small. 
And they don't offer a lot of rim protection. And so in a way, I thought this was a perfect game for Russ because it's like, okay, well, not only do you have guards who aren't physical, right? Because he didn't get matched up with like Clay, for example, a lot. So it was like, okay, well, Steph Curry, Jordan Poole, Damian Lee, like these are all dudes where Russ is just like, okay, man, you put this dude on me, I'm... I'm Euro stepping in to the paint or I'm just lowering my shoulder and stepping through. You're you're reaching across my arms. I'm getting to the foul line. And Russ was feeling it. There was a there was a direct correlation between like whatever. I don't respect these dudes at all. And then even Kaminga, they put Kaminga on him a couple of possessions. And Russ is just like, I'm doing to you what I did to Kyle Kuzma last year, which is I am just putting my shoulder into your chest. Right. Knocking you backwards and being like, go up with me if you want. They're too tall. There's that high center of gravity where Russ is that kind of like dribbling boulder where it's just give me give you that shoulder. You get knocked back a little bit. He gets a lot of foul calls on, you know, a little shot fake. They go for it. And yep. now he's at the free throw line. Yeah. And so I thought I thought one of the ways that I thought the Lakers size advantage show showed up was specifically with Russ and with LeBron, because LeBron was bigger and stronger than Andrew Wiggins. He was bigger and stronger than Jonathan Kaminga. What LeBron did not have was lift. And so they were getting to him and challenging him high. So LeBron yeah. was winning the under the rim battles and the Warriors were winning the above the rim battles. And I thought all game, Mike, I thought what LeBron doesn't have tonight is his lift. He doesn't have that normal sort of explosion that put put one foot in the ground and like, I can still go up with you. It doesn't matter who you are. In fact, like I may throw one down on you. Right. And so it was, and that's why I thought his finishing was not as good around the basket because what LeBron was doing, I thought exceptionally well was creating post seals. He was getting deep post-ups and he was creating contact. And that was one of the reasons that Frank, after the game, I think was so frustrated with the whistle that LeBron was getting. It was because there was a ton of contact in the lead up to possessions. And then as LeBron was trying to finish above, above like guys, he couldn't get over the top of them, but guys were sort of in his body enough that Frank's just like, well, that's a foul, but they let all that contact go in order for LeBron to get the position in the first place. And it's just like, they could have called a bunch of fouls both ways if they wanted to clean, clean it up. Like, oh man, LeBron's just throwing these dudes aside, right? That could be an offensive foul, but they let that go. But now that LeBron is trying to finish, they're letting those, they're letting that, that contact go too. And so it it sort of cut both, both ways. I don't know who's right and who's wrong, but I thought that was one of the frustrations around that particular aspect of things. And even it shows that even for LeBron James, when you see the ball come out a couple of times and when you don't jump a couple of times, it does it can be contagious even for one person. And what we've what we have also seen about LeBron, though, is that over the course of a series, he find he always finds a way, even if it looks like he didn't have his legs one day, he does something and he does the next game. And so I don't I didn't it didn't worry me enough to the point where I thought that, OK, you get to the play in game. And, you know, he just doesn't have it that night. Like, I I still think that he's got it in that context. And that really, that is the context now, Pete, that we have to think about all of this stuff in like it. They are 100%. I know you were holding out hope for a while. Um, I assume that is dissipated for getting to the six. But, you know, 
that that is that is to me how they have to think about it. And is it going to be in Minnesota? Right, there are four games up in the loss column. Uh, are the Lakers going to be able to get to the eight? You know, and it's with the schedule is going to be very difficult. It's manageable in early March. Then it gets pretty tough. Uh, in, per, but like if they're playing this way and and those games have the significance that they will, then and you can sort of that's that's the one part. Well, I'll bring it back to LeBron's legs where I get a little bit, you know. Well, if you're if you're starting to have those playoff need those playoff legs in certain matchups, but that answer can also go back to Anthony Davis then, right? Yes. And that's supposed to be the part that's supposed to be the part of Anthony Davis who was looking more tired than expected. But as I go on this long winded uh, take here, like the All Star break for AD to me is is important not just for him having a little bit of a break, but also like he needs to then use that time to get his conditioning up. Right. Which is this weird thing where he's going to want to get out and go to Mexico or wherever he's going to go. But he's going to have to really be in in great shape and in great form as they make that stretch run so that it doesn't have to all be about LeBron. I also think there's some degree of coordination that needs to happen. Again, we still haven't had more than three straight games with LeBron, AD and Russ. And there's a certain amount of like improvisation that will turn more and more into, hey, that little ball screen or that little way that reacted, we reacted to this play. When we do that, you know, it really creates a, a lane for this. There's a certain, there's not just some things you learn. There's a lot that you learn when you're playing next to somebody within a certain context that can be accomplished. But one of the things I'm excited about during that all-star break, Mike, is as they come back and they have the ability to practice and have – you mentioned these two practices. Again, you you almost never get two consecutive practices during the regular season because normally it's a game every other day. And if there's a game every other day, you don't practice in that day in between. If there's two days in between the games, you'll practice the game the day right before the game. But we've got three days off. And so we got these two practices, then the practice is coming back from the break where Darius, I see Anthony Davis representing the air force of our team or the primary guy who's part of that. And we have less of an air force than we really ever have. The only other single plane, Pete, we got a single plane. I I would say that Malik Monk is a fighter jet of sorts, right? He's he's very small. (laughs) Sure. Sure. But when, when I say uh, an air force is those guys that can beat you over the top, that lift that LeBron did not have having access to that vertical plane to that. Oh yeah. You've got Draymond in the game. Obviously you didn't play in this one, but you got Draymond down there or Kaminga can get up there, but uh, Looney cannot right that access that domination of 11 feet above the rim is something that anthony davis can do but part of the reason why you switch defensively is to prevent those options and him being able to get downhill and so teams i've noticed have been switching a lot against us and our attacks on how to still have access to that air force right and to get anthony davis downhill even if the defense is not surrendering that role lane in the first place i think even like obviously the health stuff and conditioning and all of that that mike is talking about is first and foremost but even beyond that i think that Figuring out like how do we get AD above the rim as as often as possible is the last like main the last main piece that needs to lock in. I think with when we have all three guys. No, I definitely agree. One of the actions the Lakers have been using more, and I noticed it um, in both the Bucks game and the Blazers game, is they've been running more Spain pick and rolls, especially with Malik Monk on mm. the floor. And so, mm-hmm. for those of you 
who don't know what a Spain pick and roll is, is just like, okay, there's the ball handler at the top of the key. Let's say it's Russell Westbrook. And then um, AD is going to be the guy who comes and sets a screen for Russell Westbrook. And so AD will come and set that screen. And then he will start to roll to go down downhill. In the process of him rolling, one of the guards, and it's usually Malik Monk, it's normally a shooter. It's typically a shooter who sets this screen. Mm -hmm. And so it's been Monk a lot. And Monk can be hit or miss. He's small. And so getting in there physically and really setting that screen isn't something you could tell. He's not used to doing that a lot. But over the course of the rest of the season, I hope that he gets more and more comfortable sort of setting his body up to take that punishment. But Malik Monk will then and set a back screen on AD's man, right? Whoever is defending AD at that point so that AD can try to get a cleaner roll to the basket and, and play above the rim to either catch a lob or to get deeper post position, depending on how they're guarding the ball. When a team switches, you can still run that Spain pick and roll because that sets up a certain level of of like recognition. Like, are we going to still switch that action because it's a screen and then another quick screen? It's like a screen to screener action. And if you're not communicating that well, or even if you are, if you're asking the guy who is defending Malik Monk to then get in front of Anthony Davis and stop him on a roll because you've switched that action again, right? Then it's like, okay, well, you're probably in trouble and you're going to surrender a, a, like a pass to the top of the square where AD's just going to jump up and grab it. And then he's either going to draw a foul or he's going to be able to get a finish. And they ran that successfully against the Bucks a couple times. They ran it successfully against the Blazers a couple times. And over the course of the rest of the season, it's something I want to see the Lakers do more and more. Phoenix does this a lot for Aiton, and he kills on this sort of action. The one thought I had to add was that a lot of the original components of what Vogel believed in and wanted to do on offense was the vertical spacing component. But that often had, you know, JaVale or Dwight or DeAndre to some extent to start the season or Dwight again. And if with this small group, right, how much of those concepts for all the other stuff that you run for AD and for how versatile yeah. he is, go yeah. back to that specific vertical spacing role. And because AD's typical game plan and AD's typical you know, box of plays is going to be a lot different from that typical vertical spacer type guy. So, Pete, I don't know if that's related to your thought at all, but maybe that's yeah, maybe that's part of that. Yeah. No, that's great insight because, again, that that vertical spacing is something that DJ did very well. If I could pick one part of his game to keep, that that was great. And in the absence of him, that's not something Dwight can do particularly well anymore. And so that idea of building offense around vertical spacing is important. And in the absence of having those traditional fives doing that, I think the the solve to the Rubik's Cube is a little bit different. And so I'm curious to see where, where he goes with that. And that's part of the whole – that's part of what had you had AD and LeBron and Russ healthy the whole year, then maybe you have a stretch where you think, oh, wait a second. AD, we don't need to have – run as many post-up, face-ups. Why not just have him screen roll more often and, and go up for lobs and send and, – and you get AD thinking, oh, I don't know. Is that – does that take more or effort or does it take more? I don't know the answer to all that, but it's something I'm curious – I think I might actually just ask Frank Vogel about that ahead of the Utah game, you know? 
I'd, I'd love to hear about that because that's a big part that that process. And it, that is why I thought this regular season was especially important. And if we're not already out of runway, we're right there because that whole, oh, well, what if we did this? And then you try it and it this part of it worked, but this other part didn't. So you keep the part that worked and alter the part that didn't. And it's this, the whole season is a continual series of doing that over and over again. And so being able to practice, being able to get these couple of games in before the all-star break, having the grace of the, uh, having the grace of the play in format where 10 teams make some version of it is all really important in us being able to grab that last bit of thread, whatever we can. Uh, but I was really happy that we did that in the first place and that we didn't continue to fracture. We played hard. The basketball God said, not yet. We need you to play harder for longer for a little more but i agree with what you guys said about them bestowing blessings when you do that just the last point to close that out pete is one of the comments that russell westbrook made post game was like a bit of optimism like i think that we maybe have found something a little bit here and the thing that matters most is how much do the players believe and how much are they going to come continue to come together in pursuit of that same belief right and i am hopeful that that's where the team is right now. Me too. And if you play like that, you're going to mess around and, and win a few games. All right, so tomorrow, let's talk some Taylor Horton Tucker and Austin Reeves. I thought they were huge contributors uh, down the stretch of that game, and I think they're going to be a big part of our story going forward. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires again, and the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.